from HerbMentor.com. This is Herb Mentor Radio. You are listening to Herb Mentor Radio and HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. I am here today live at the Traditions and Western Herbalism Conference in New Mexico at the Ghost Ranch. And it's an amazing place because there's incredible herbalists that are here. And it's always a, an awesome opportunity when I can, you know, come, come to you live here in person, not on the phone with, with some great herbalists. And I happen to be with today with herbalist Paul Bergner and Dr. Tanya Neubauer. Paul has, uh, who you all may know from my previous interview on HerbMentor.com or have seen his video there, has studied and practiced natural medicine since 1973, author of seven books on the faculty of lots of schools, founder of the North American Institute of Medical Herbalism, started the Medical Herbalism Journal, and you can visit him at NAIMH.com and MedHerb.com. And Tanya has been studying herbs since 1994. And she studied with Karen Sanders, Michael Moore, Adam Seller, has worked as a naturopathic physician uh, for quite a while and uh, has done so as well in Nicaragua with Natural Doctors International and was a medical coordinator at the Berkeley Free Clinic. And in, de- in December of 2012, uh, Paul and Tanya, along, so 2011, <laughs> December 2011, right? Thank you, Paul. Uh, this is live. <laughs> Paul and Tanya, along with Seven Song, will be uh, leading a trip to Nicaragua with folks, and it's called Medical Herbalism in Global Health, and we'll be talking about that in detail a little later in the interview. But first, because we have not yet met Tanya. Hi, Tanya. Hi. I want to hear your story, and you've been to Nicaragua, and um, you know you've been working with herbs and as a, as a doctor. And I just want to hear your story and how it unfolded and also how that led you to Nicaragua and your work there. Okay. Well, uh, herbalism is really the way that I got started in the field of healthcare and my path has really come a long way since then. But, uh, I consider herbal medicine really my first love a completely changed my life to learn that we're surrounded by healing plants wherever we are, sometimes to the, up to the weeds pushing through the sidewalk. And also early, uh, early on after I started studying herbal medicine, I began to work as a community health worker at the Berkeley Free Clinic. And that was also very formative in my life. Uh, really inspired me to want to make medicine and healthcare and natural medicine accessible to all sorts of people, uh, which it really isn't necessarily in our society. And uh, the people I worked with there really inspired me to want to go farther and to become a physician. So naturopathic medicine was really an ideal way to blend those two interests and become a doctor, but still be able to really practice my first love, which was herbal medicine and Mm -hmm. nutrition, uh, body work. I'm also a massage therapist. Um, So about halfway through my natural, my naturopathic training, I went on a delegation that was organized by a classmate of mine to go work in Nicaragua. And that delegation had a very unexpected effect on me. About uh, a week into the to the work there, which we were working on the island of Ometepe, where we're going to be going on this trip, uh, I just felt completely uh, overtaken, inspired, felt like I was falling in love, and knew that I had to continue this work. Um, the, uh, that delegation really had a huge effect on a lot of people who were there. A lot of people really got unexpectedly bit by the bug of working internationally. And three of the people who were on that delegation, besides myself, ended up founding an organization called Natural Doctors International, which works to bring natural medicine into global health. And they were very inspired by doing this work in a public hospital, in community clinics around Nicaragua, but also felt that the model which is used on a lot of 
kind of international health organizations, which is what you might call parachuting in or medical tourism. And that's people show up and set up a makeshift clinic, parcel out a lot of whatever it is, whether it's, you know, pills or healthcare or even surgery, and then they go back to their home country and there isn't a follow-up or um, any kind of knowledge of what happens to the people that you see afterwards, that this model is not the best model, that we Mm. can do better than that. And so that there needs to be a long-term permanent collaboration and presence in the communities that you're serving. Right. So because you're going to a place and it doesn't have a regular medical clinic and for a lot of people, is it that you might be one of the only practitioners that they'll see? That's definitely true, although it's not entirely true. So the place that we work does have a public health system and we Mm -hmm. work in collaboration with that public health system. So when you go there, you're going to be working with herbalists and naturopathic physicians, but you're also going to be working with people who are really enmeshed in the culture and in the, have a great knowledge of the resources that are available after you leave. And it's, it's very ideal. It's amazing. (laughs) I'm trying to understand like, you know, it's interesting because your, your your passion here with working with the free clinic in Berkeley, and that's Berkeley, California. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, just making sure. Uh-huh. Um, and also, you're down in Nicaragua working with the natural, the, 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 with the healthcare system. Um, is it that in, because I imagine, you know, Berkeley, a liberal city, is a free clinic. You're going to have doctors that are willing to work with herbalists, right? And they... And there's, is that, is you have MDs at that, did you have MDs at that free clinic too? Or was it just a, because I know the one with Seven Song that works with, there's MDs there and there's other folks. Was it just herbal folks and naturopaths? Or? Uh, there are no naturopaths there. At the time I decided to become a naturopathic right. physician, I had never met a naturopathic oh, physician. Okay, okay. It just sounded like a great idea right. <laughs> in theory. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> the Berkeley Free Clinic is unique in that all the healthcare is provided by community health workers who are trained in the free clinic. Okay. And so there are uh, MDs and PAs and nurse practitioners who are there, but they're there available to consult with the community health right. workers. They they don't actually directly provide healthcare into. But but in Nicaragua, and you're working with the the public health system there. There you you are like how how is the attitude towards working with herbalists and NDs and folks like that? Like, is it a little different than this country? It's very different. It is amazing. So there's such a welcoming and such an intense gratitude and happiness that Mm. people can get access to natural medicine in their own hospital and in their own community clinic. Um, The vast majority of Nicaraguans are... I have never met a Nicaraguan who has the kind of skeptical attitude that uh, is very prevalent in the United States mm-hmm. towards natural medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's normal there to know a few plants around you and how to use them as medicine. That's just a regular part of life. Regular it's not life. a strange, exotic it's not thing. It's not alternative. Yeah. So they're really and welcome to like, wow, there's herbalists here. People are so happy at right. all levels. Like we have a collaboration with the, the national, um, basically the, it's called the ministry of health, basically the, the national, wow. um, health service there and at the highest level people are completely thrilled in fact the nicaraguan government actually just signed a resolution to make natural med to encourage the use of natural medicine within the public health system at all levels whenever possible so, so you get kids to combine your i mean like you say you fell in love with the place your passion for helping people your passion for herbs in a area that's very hospitable and welcoming to you being there. Mm-hmm. So I can see what we're, why there's like, well, this is amazing. There's just quite a, a draw. And that, and that then, if, if I'm right here in saying that encourages and feeds and gives you that feeds your passion and gives you like, wow, you know, I'm really on the right path here because I'm making a difference. Yeah. You really do feel it, it to be there. Uh, 
this is an island of about 42,000 people is the last estimate I heard. And there are less than 15 doctors. So any kind of healthcare <laughs> that is provided there, you really have a sense immediately upon arrival that you are doing something very vital, very necessary is going to be making a huge difference in a, in a lot of situation lives. because you get to to help folks and 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 it's your passion and and and, and all those things that you're into and also they're getting health care so yeah really- I, I learned an incredible amount I ended up going and once I by the time I had graduated from naturopathic school this organization, right. Natural Doctors International, was well established and had established a permanent right. presence there and was bringing doctors there for long-term placements of 14 months at a time. Amazing. And so I ended up working there and seeing thousands of people. So, so what, what, what I want to talk a little bit about now is that, you know, something that, you know, folks may wonder why are we talking about all this today is... Um, is that I took a class with Paul yesterday. Hi, Paul. Hi. <laughs> and um, and um, it was on, uh, you titled it, How to Become a Master Herbalist in 30 Years or More. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and a little tongue-in-cheek title. Yes. And we'll talk a little bit why that's so. But what really, I just had this, you know, how cool that was that, because I met Tanya here for the first time and talking on her passions about all this and where her life led her and all the things in her past that led her to her work in Nicaragua and they're able, you know, and then meets you and then now you're able to take folks there and help others learn about herbs and help others, not just the folks in Nicaragua, but to help them learn to be clinical herbalists and practitioners. And it's just how it all just happens in our lives and our paths and, and, um, and I guess that's what I wanted to ask you is just uh, you hear her Tanya's story and how does your story fit into that and, and your passions? And I guess I'm really inspired by this whole thing about, you know, people finding their path in life and their calling and, and everything. So I'm going to shut up and just let you just talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the talk how to become a master herbalist in 30 years or more. I mean, that's that's tongue-in-cheek because, um, you know, there's some places you can study for a short time and somebody puts the title master herbalist after their name, and that's uh, generally not highly regarded in our profession, and it's rather pretentious <laughs> to say I'm a master of anything after 100 hours of study or 300 hours of study or something like that. So, um, what... <clears throat> Just my story, I started doing this in the 1970s um, uh, when there really wasn't anything in North America that, they w- that we would call an herbal movement, um, where herbalists in one part of the con- country were connected or communicating with herbalists in another part of the country. There were very few books. Um, this was before the internet. Um, you, there used to be a hardbound, they may have this online now, but there used to be a hardbound book. It was called Books in Print, and it was a list of all the books in print. It was like a telephone book. And uh, you could look under different topics. And in uh, 1978, you could look in Books in Print, and there were five books on the topic of herbalism uh, in Books in Print. And uh, you get an idea. I looked recently, there were tens of thousands now on Amazon.com if you just look herb or herb or herbs or something like that. And, um, in, uh, but uh, herbalism was arising and, and communities were arising in different parts of the country. So uh, New England, uh, there was a, you know, uh, an herbal, herbalists and herbal communities were arising in New England, in the Pacific Northwest, in California. Uh, there have always been a lot of uh, herbalists, folk herbalists, lay herbalists in the South and in the Appalachians and, and so on. But just for a, a point of reference and in, in getting into an, answering your question, um, in 1986, I went to an herbal conference um, at a place in Oregon called Brighton Bush Hot Springs. And uh, at the time, this was the only herbal conference um, in the country. And it happened once a year in September. Right? And you'll notice, just for context, we're at a conference here that probably has three or 400 people at it. Right? That conference had 80 people at it in 1986. And uh, people had, that was people had flown from the East Coast and 
come up from California and were there from the Pacific Northwest. And uh, it was this group. But I walked into that room and I went into an altered state. Mm-hmm. It was just like I was stepped out of time or something. And kind of this little question, what's going on here? <laughs> There's something going on here. What's going on here? <laughs> and uh, I am... Um, because um, I had already been an herbalist for seven years at that point and had studied natural medicine by that point for 13 years. And, um, uh, but I, uh, here was a collection of herbalists, all of them practicing in their own locale off the grid in some way, you know, mm-hmm. without recognition, all totally unconventional, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but we were all in one room together. And it was like, the only thing I can think of is like uh, when you put the fuel rods in a nuclear reactor close together, <laughs> the water starts to boil. Right. And, uh, but it was like this uh, spiritual thing was, was happening. You know, that these, and uh, subsequently, um, by, by the way, by the last day of the convention, I figured out what was going on there. It's that I was in a room with 80 people, all of whom talked to plants and the plants talked back. uh, or in other words uh, I like to say for herbalism for some people the herbalism, the herb, the plant um, maybe it's the cup of tea but maybe it's the plant itself becomes a doorway into a sacred world and it's how a person opens up a sacred world and finds their own sacred soul in that context and these were people where that was their path and uh, I can see now that time there were three small, one medium-sized school and two very, very small schools of herbalism in the country that year. That's all there were. And um, last I looked, there are now, this year, it isn't, you know, 25 years later, there are at least a dozen herbal conferences, right? Probably a total of 2,000 people go to herbal conferences this year. I looked on um, a, a website, there are more than 50 schools of herbal medicine of one sort or another. Uh, in those days, uh, none of the schools actually had clinics. You weren't actually trained to use herbs to heal people. You were trained about herbs and how to use them, you mm-hmm. know, and, and what they, you know, for yourself or what they were, quote, good for. But there was none of the aspects of herbalism where you sit with somebody and hear their story and take their case and you get some idea of what's going on and you think of what herbal allies might help them, you know, with their situation. So, and subsequently today there are at least six schools that all have teaching clinics wow. and, uh, and teach people. Um, today I did a rough count talking to some different school owners. There are probably approximately 500 people who are practicing, who have had, um, 500 people who have graduated from one of those clinical schools and gotten clinical training in clinical herbalism. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see, so the change in, in my lifetime over 25 years, that's, that's an amazing uh, expansion, right? And uh, herbalism still isn't quite uh, on the grid, even if some medical doctors use herbs, right? The, the actual paradigm of herbalism, of natural medicine, mm-hmm. isn't so much... Uh, on the grid, I will say in that same time, the naturopathic medical profession, those are, uh, they're like trained primary care uh, physicians who also use, na- who use uh, natural uh, therapies. There were in uh, 1987, they used to get 200 NDs used to come to their annual convention. And uh, they estimated there were about 600 in the country. And uh, there are now, I don't know what they're, they're graduating two or 300 a year from right. naturopathic colleges. They're graduating as many a year now, every year, as used to come to their national conference in, in uh, 1987. So this is an amazing explosion. It's estimated uh, there are, I think, between three and 5,000 practicing NDs now in North America. Yeah. So. so the question is, why did that happen? You know, mm-hmm. was it history changed and it's an idea whose time has come? And what my, because I was involved actually with the naturopathic profession from 87 to 94, and I sat on the board in the room with the people who took the steps that made the rest of all that happen, that growth happen. These were the people they. Got a, uh, they got licensing in new states, they got board exams, they started a national political organization, they got accreditation for the schools. <laughs> right. You know, uh, and uh, so I think in, when I go back to those years, I think of those two rooms, the room with the 80 herbalists in it and the room with the dozen nature, leaders of the naturopathic profession who are bringing it to what it is today. And there was one thing that you see 
a friend of mine said it. He said, I'll look in, this was actually Herbal Ed Smith, the founder of the Herb Farm Company, which was a small company at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, I'll see somebody and you can just see there's a fire in their eyes and I know that person's an herbalist, mm -hmm. right? And uh, it was the same thing with the naturopaths. And what I've come to understand, and it wasn't like a new idea, is that people have a calling. Yeah. You know? Uh, everyone's born with a calling. And uh, no two callings are alike, right? But if, and <laughs> like, you might one line, not one liner, but a short definition of a calling. A calling is that thing that whenever you're doing it, uh -huh. right, the universe conspires to help you succeed. <laughs> yes. And, and whenever you're not doing it, the universe conspires to make you miserable. Right. right? Yes. And, uh, the, uh, usually anyone I talk to, when I say it that way, people, oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, what yeah, that is. is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like no one is called to work in McDonald's. Right? Right. And, uh, <laughs> and uh uh, calling doesn't always manifest as a profession. It doesn't always manifest as you're an initiator of social change, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody's calling could be to work in sales and raise a family. Right? Mm -hmm. and, but when that person's doing that, the universe conspires to help them succeed. And, right. they are, and with that calling, you're connected to everything, no matter what it is. And this uh, master herbalist, some people are going to master 400 herbs and they're going to start a school. Somebody else is going to learn 30 or 40 herbs, learn them very well, and they're going to become a caretaker or a health ally in their community or in their family or in their circle of friends. Right. And they're equally valid as a calling. See, right. it isn't the size. Like in the <laughs> India, they talk about the elephant and the ant. They're right. both doing their job. You know, and just because one's bigger than the other doesn't mean that one's more important than the other, right. that they're doing what they're doing. So um, I saw this, this force for social change came from... I would say probably about in both those professions combined about 30 biological individuals who who they got struck by lightning they they got a hit they says this is what I was born to do I'm going to do this I'm going to do this whether I get rich or whether I have to do it as a hobby I'm going to do it All right, right? right and they I like the, the term from Texas Hold'em Poker. They put themselves all in right. <laughs> and did it. And their lives became incredibly meaningful right. in that. And they have uh, manifested this for this generation and for future generations. And uh, a lot of what we see here today is the, is the result of their work and their sacrifice and their passion and, and their calling. Um, one of the reasons I'm interested in this is I've been training clinical herbalists since 1996. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Someone who's their calling is actually to you're in this weird, unregulated field called herbalism, mm. right? There aren't any board exams, there aren't any standards, there aren't any licenses, there aren't any anything, you know. And some people are called to do this, to master this, to teach this, and to use this to help people with their health. And um, as training clinical herbalists, I, I over the years I kind of said, what is the most important thing that determines whether my students succeed or fail, whether they make it through the program or not, whether they come through the program at a high level of confidence when they get out or whether they just kind of punch the clock and come in through is, is the, the same thing, the calling, whether they have a calling. And uh, this is what I see for somebody who's actually practicing sitting with patients. The idea of having a calling uh, is, uh, is critical. It's a critical piece of the, of the picture there right. uh, for healing. Because we're in healing... It isn't like you get this list of remedies over here and there's a list of diseases on the other side and people come up and you see where they match on the list and you give them this thing. It's like in actual healing, you're engaging the person, you're engaging their life, you're hearing their story right. and you're seeing the patterns of their life. Right. I could say one thing, one year uh, some students, they were naturopathic students, but they were herbalists primarily and they were going to naturopathic school in order to have a license so they can right. practice legally and expand their skills to practice as herbalists. And uh, they were from uh, one of the naturopathic colleges in the Pacific Northwest. And a, a group of them, there were six of them, and they uh, decided in the summer after their first year they were going to travel across the country and uh, visit different famous herbalists and get advice for their career. Right? <laughs> nice. And uh, they came and said, Can we talk to you? You know, and they talked to me and uh, said what they were doing. But before they, uh, just before they came to uh, my school in Colorado, they had stopped by the Lakota Reservation in South Dakota, and uh, they wanted to ask uh, an elder Native American healer, shaman, herbalist, you know, advice. And so uh, 
they were uh, led to the guy and they told him their question. They said the guy was quiet for about five minutes. He didn't say anything for about five minutes, just sat there. And he said, well, you should go up on the mountain and do a vision quest and um, find out whether the, excuse me, find out whether the creator wants you to be an herbalist, right? Because if the creator doesn't want you to be an herbalist and you do it anyway, you're just going to hurt people. Mm. He's talking the same thing. That's his version of calling. And, and it's very important that a healer be, be called to do that, not do that because, oh, well, I can make a good income here, have a good retirement plan. Right. You know, yeah. uh, or, you know, I mean, well, okay, people can do what they do. But, uh, but uh, th- this is uh, very critical for actual healing, authentic healing. And what I see people who have, they'll get this little bug for herbalism, right? And they'll say, I'm, well, uh, yeah, I, I want to learn this. And maybe at first it's a curiosity, or at first it's a lifestyle. <clears throat> but it can be, for some, for those who are called, it can be their connection with what's sacred in themselves and what's sacred in their connection to everything else. And for me, often the doorway for that is the plants or the herbs or because they are connected to nature. Well, in this modern urban world uh, there's pavement and we wear shoes right Uh, many of us have never set a bare foot on the earth in in a decade right you know Uh, or sat on the earth heaven forbid we're afraid we'll get hypothermia if we sit on the earth (laughs) hiking with a friend one day he says you don't have a ground pad you're gonna get really really sick (laughs) Um, so um uh you have have this idea idea of calling uh so and maybe that brings us around to the trip to Nicaragua again. Right, because yeah. right, because I think maybe that's what, what struck me when you were talking, because when I hear you talk about, you know, the work that you do, when I hear Tanya's story about, oh yeah, we just started this free clinic and we well, I went to Nicaragua. I just <laughs> yeah, I just went down there and we just started doing it, you know, and then I and I've interviewed Seven Song, and he's talked about his work in the Ithaca Free Clinic and his work that where he's been going to the Rainbow Gatherings for over 30 years, offering a free clinic and protests and things that he does. And, and it's this, like, they just, you just light up and you do it because it's just what you want to do with it. And, and I like that you're talk, speaking to everybody, Paul, because, it, it, you know, it, it really, because some folks may, you know, we speak to the difference. I'm trying to get to this. A lot of people go, well, that's, it seems so awesome in this romantic thing. And they, they can see themselves doing it. But there's often a difference between that and a person's calling too, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Because, I mean, because a lot of us or most people listening will be like, well, I am, a, you know, I'm learning about herbs and, and using them with my family. And that's my calling. And that's what I'm doing with my family. But there's some listening going like, I got to get I got to do this. You know, I got to, this is what mm-hmm. I want to do. When they hear all of your stories, they go, that's me. That's what I, yes. So do you see those sometimes confusions between people's actual callings and what they're doing versus, do you want to speak to that? Or I would just it? say, uh, uh, your calling would be what keeps you doing it when the romance wears off. <laughs> 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 the romance might be the thing that gets you to take the initial step, but, uh, you know, inevitably when you're doing this work, you know, even, mm-hmm. even when you're helping people who are sick, uh, you're going to be contra- confronting some difficult stories and, you know, that that's magnified when you're going to a place like Nicaragua, um, where there's very little access to resources for healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to be sitting with some tough stories and sitting with problems that are some of the most difficult problems that people have can, confronted can throughout an, history. Can you give us an example of a situation or have a you know a, a case? Um, I just uh, I just about. went to Nicaragua just very recently and worked with a delegation and. Um, we had people coming in from so far away to come to our clinic. Uh, it was amazing. It's the word is really getting out there. And I had, uh, 
a number of people come in. I had one father come in with his son who um, was born with a congenital heart malformation and a number of different, um, you know, different congenital malformations of his head and all sorts of other. And then we had someone else who brought in her two blind children that they were adult children. One was, uh, one was actually going to college on the mainland Mm -hmm. was studying to be a psychologist. It was quite amazing. And the other one, um, she, as best as we could determine might be having an onset of schizophrenia, but there was so there's no mental health resources on that Island. There's no way to really get that person assessed for that when they're in some kind of subtle onset stage beyond what we could do. And so, um, you will confront situations where, you know, who's like, these are people I'd really love to be able to wave a wand for you and, uh, make up for the, inequities in world health access that are out there. But instead, uh, you know, I can be there and witness your story and do what I can to make the wheels of justice turn in the small way that I can. So just being there for people is huge. (laughs) It's huge. You know, uh, most of the people, part of the consequence, right, of uh, being in a place where there are so few doctors and healthcare providers, most people, when they do get in to see someone, because we're not in the middle of the jungle, there is a, you know, there is a public health system, but they'll be seen by someone usually for maybe like three to five minutes. And so even the amount of time that we have to sit with people, you know, sometimes 15 minutes, sometimes much more that people have never been listen to and have their story heard that much in their lives, right? By any healthcare practitioner. And so for us, (laughs) you know, in this country, a lot of times in the holistic health field, we'll sit with people for an hour and a half, two hours. That was the standard in my naturopathic training. There, there's a big trade-off, right? And if you were to do that, you're going to see very few people of the many people who want to be seen. But even if you give, you know, 15 minutes of really being there and really listening, it's it's huge. Something right. that people have never had in never their had. lives. And that is huge. Yeah. With herbs there, are you using many of their local herbs so then they can say, they can kind of take it from there when you leave and... Or are you relying heavily on ones you take with you? How does this work? Uh, <laughs> Either of you. We are using some <laughs> local plants. I would say not as many as I would like. And it's a long process of being able to really adapt local plants for use there, right? Um, there are actually two natural medicine foundations in Nicaragua that make their own, they grow their own plants and make their own medicines mm-hmm. and publish books on Nicaraguan medicinal plants and train community health workers all over the place. Um, and they're amazing. And we do buy some medicines from them. And some of them have become real mainstays of the things that we see there. Um, like one example is using guava for yeah. infectious diarrhea and parasites. Um, but it, there's also, we have a pretty tremendous uh, donated medicinary from right. companies in North America that have and you supported can give us. People bottles. Of- yeah, so we give out a lot of medicines that uh, we we formulate. We'll you know mix our own tincture blends right there when people are there, or mix our own teas or salves or other things like oh, that. Nice. Okay. Medicated great. salves, all those things, and we'll just give them to people and. Again, you know, the, the idea of this clinic is it's a permanent presence in the community. So people can come back and follow up with the naturopathic physician after we see them on this delegation and refill as needed or are there, adjust their Are there blend people or, with that group there right now? Uh, there's two people, the uh, founder and executive director of the organization, Dr. Tabitha Parker, she's there permanently. And then also uh, Dr. Kylie Hunt, who's this year's oh, kind of resident physician. And so we're going to be working with both so of them. You're getting to, to, so, so you're getting to go to a place where there's an established presence in natural medicine in a community that welcomes it and get hands-on experience in... 
in, in that. That's, that's awesome. It's a remarkable experience. It's really, if you, um, that was part of the, the, the impetus for founding this nonprofit was, you know, there's, if you want to go and do international work with natural medicine, a lot of the groups that do it are, you know, they're kind of mission groups that go for very short periods of time. Mm -hmm. And this model is, you know, if I may say so, it's so much better and so much more appropriate. Now, um, if someone's to join you on this trip, the first question I'm wondering is there's people listening going, wow, I'd like to go have some hands-on clinical experience and using, you know, because, and you told me, Paul, yesterday that you saw like, you you know, two or three days, you can see up to 75, 80 well, I think we saw 75, our initial uh run with 75 patients in four and a half days four in the clinic days. there. And what, what it's like... Um, who can go, though? Like, like I mean, like, some people are listening, like, oh, what, what experience? Anyone can any, go. Absolutely anyone. With any or no clinical experience. Wow. Um, it's, what um, level of herbalism, though, experience? Like, what should someone feel like they can do? Any, any? If the people have the bug, they want to go. <laughs> uh, it, I like what I witnessed there. I went there in uh, in, fe in uh, February, and there was a group of uh, naturopathic students from one of the Canadian naturopathic colleges there. And some of them were in their senior year, and they were getting ready to practice. And their impetus was they could come down there, practice physical exam skills, mm -hmm. really get a lot of primary care experience right there. Mm -hmm. And there were also some of the students there had never seen a client they hadn't even had a class in naturopathic school yet but they wanted to come there and see what it was like and get inspired to see what right. it looks like to use herbs in a primary care setting and would they also use uh, of course nutrition in a third world country nutrition is very important there are nutritional supplements there may be homeopathy and they may do body work people may do acupuncture there and um, but the thing is the participant can participate at the level of their training. So uh, let's just say um, so, uh, uh, someone comes by who's a nurse or right. a physician's assistant or something. They can come. They can practice their physical exam oh. skills on those. If a person comes by a student who's had training in physical exam, they can practice the physical exam part. Because there's a lot of people, like I know, at least listening to this, that are nurses and you know, and to have these skills, you may not realize that they can just bring there then. We, the way yeah. um, the clinics are done is collaborative. So mm -hmm. if you come down there as part of this delegation, you're going to be there uh, at a station seeing patients with a naturopathic physician and with an herbalist. And each group is going to have someone who has really practiced there long term and is very linguistically and culturally fluent right so and everything is done collaboratively you'll be invited to participate in taking the history in mm. coming up with the plan coming up with the treatment plan and um, figuring out what to do but there'll also be someone there who will keep you from you know if your treatment plan is something that is going to really clash with local ideas about health or with what you know what is going to be able to explain okay when the person tells you this not only we translate everything simultaneously so you don't have to have any spanish to go mm -hmm. there right mm -hmm. but um They'll, we don't we don't only translate the Spanish literally we translate what people are really saying so when they say you know I'm tired it's actually an expression there for shortness of breath and they're probably actually talking about asthma for example right and so um, it'll keep you from going off the rails right <laughs> you know when someone uh, even if you're completely fluent in Spanish and a you know, fantastic, experienced health practitioner, you'll be in a team and you'll get to really use all your abilities to their fullest to provide the very best health care for the people there. I, I can say some healthcare practitioners go down there and they go, boom, you know, this is what I originally got, into why I originally got into this field, that I can help somebody and make a difference. 
Have you seen without you 17 layers of insurance and medical bureaucracy between you and the patient? It's typically <laughs> very, very inspiring for everyone who participates from people who, you know, it's a really inspiring way to begin your clinical experience. Like what Paul was saying, if you've never seen a client, it's a really inspiring way to see everything that's possible. And it's really re-inspiring for people who've been practicing a long time. There's typically intense gratitude on the part of the people you see for being it for you being there. To people, it's very um, rewarding. But when people come back, um, how have they? You mean coming back into this country where there are all these these restrictive regulations for all various things? I have people found ways to be creative and and win their inspirations there and bring back to their work here. Yeah, I'd like to say a visit there is like pouring gasoline on the fire of your calling. Yeah. You come back here and do it. <laughs> Beautiful. Do, do it. I, that was my experience. Right. I went, it was like, uh, it, it was amazing. I, the, Tanya said the, for the participants, it's collaborative. Right. Collaborative means if, if we're sitting there, we're going to come up with a treatment plan. We'll say, do you, <laughs> right. these four students who are sitting with our, uh, four attendees who are sitting with our station, do you have something to add? Do you have a suggestion for this? Do you have a recommendation for this? And say, we're thinking of giving this formula, right? And uh, let's say the patient has a kidney infection, right? Okay. And I I'm, I'm, have some experience with that. And I always put plantain in my formulas for kidney infection. And the student can say, oh, why do you put plantain in that? That, you know, that in other words, you're not just observing like through a glass wall or something. Right. You're there and you can interact and participate and ask questions of the expert local naturopathic physician mm -hmm. and the expert herbalist. You could ask direct. They're sitting right there. You can ask them a question. Wow. Yeah. Or you can put in your suggestion for, you know, what should be in the person's treatment plan or what questions should we ask in history yeah. or what, you know, further things should we explore? That's yeah. Okay. Let's say let's say the person's a massage therapist. Right. Let's do it, and we'll be uh, working up a treatment plan for somebody, and we'll give them the treatment plan. But there's a massage table over there, right? And a lot of these people are in physical pain and they're physical tense and things. And this is what I witnessed in February. There were people there who were pretty good at body work, and we'd say, okay, well, uh, here's your medicine, and and the 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 body workers back there said, oh my goodness, you know. I'd like to offer that person some body work. And so they go, they get a massage after their visit and the massage therapist gets to practice, you know, in, in that setting uh, and seeing the massage integrated with everything else. And, uh, yeah, most of the people we see are farmers. Um, and so they typically have a whole lot of musculoskeletal concerns. Oh, so body work is very, very appreciated. <clears throat> people love getting body work. And also there's, you know, a fair amount of mental, emotional concerns that come up also that are really well addressed by body work. And then also, yeah, the current... Uh, naturopathic resident there is uh, also does acupuncture so if you do oh, acupuncture yeah. she does a ton of acupuncture it's really really popular there people it's a, a new I'll thing for a lot of people in. yeah really? they, <laughs> they love to get acupuncture and so you can if you're an acupuncturist you can work with her and and provide acupuncture there but but if i was going to go see paul or tiny when i talk to this my main concern is, man, there's got to be poisonous snakes and tons of things that could hurt me there. So I know that's going through people's minds listening to this. So please address some of those things and how you deal with uh, people's safety concerns, uh, which are probably pretty valid. Right. Well, we're on an <laughs> island. There are, there are no poisonous snakes that oh. I've ever heard of on an island. Um, they're scorpions, but they're not dangerous. They just hurt. So, you know, you got to be careful about... They're, they're friendly scorpions. <laughs> Shall I tell my story? <laughs> Which one? Then when I, put oh, my right. I had my clothes on the <laughs> right. floor and I went and put them in the laundry and got them out of the dryer and I opened up my underwear and there was a dead scorpion. Oh. In my underwear. <laughs> what about like maybe more like probably people's concern probably more like maybe like drinking water parasites that kind of. Uh, so if you go there, we work with an organization of families that are trained to mm -hmm. provide lodging to mm -hmm. foreigners who come and volunteer. And so we provide them with a water filter. It's actually really amazing, appropriate technology, water filter. Um, and so they, mix all your drinks and wash all your vegetables and everything else in filtered water. And so if you just eat with your family that you stay with, you'll be very safe as far as that. If you go and, you know, go to restaurants on the island, 
you're taking your chances, because right? Because those ice so. cubes may not be unfiltered <laughs> there, water. There are a lot of, you will see a lot of um, clients with parasites in the clinic, and there's a lot of parasitic infections. So, you know, if you if you already know you have a stomach of iron and you want to take a few chances, then, you know, go and uh, have a, a fruit drink in a restaurant. But if not, you stay with your family and you just eat what they prepare and just drink the water. We always have filtered water in the clinics. Mm. Then you'll be safe as far as that. Many people do get just a little kind of like traveler's gastroenteritis when they come there just from different microbes. That's really common, but it's typically nothing dangerous. And then we have, you know, the full clinic there to help you to treat you and everything else. Nobody needs so. any shots or anything before they go? Or uh, We do require a tetanus shot okay. because the um, there's a lot of kind of old rusty barbed wire I and see. things like that around because you're in a rural area. And then you should just know that, you know, we're on an island in a very rural area. There's... There's a hospital on the island, but it doesn't fit anyone's definition of a hospital in North America. And so if you if something very, very serious goes on, um, you're either talking about being medevaced or, you know, on a minimum one hour ride to the mainland. So, you know, knock on wood, nothing very serious has ever happened to any participant of our delegations. But you should just know that that's the situation. And so we do require you to have uh, travel insurance when you come along and a, and a passport and a passport. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the tetanus, uh, the, the emergency, um, tetanus immune globulin is not available on the Island. And so we recommend that you get vaccinated before you come, um, just to make sure that right. you're already your booster. You're there. You, yeah, exactly. I probably haven't had that since I was a kid probably, exactly. so. but there's no other, there's yeah. no other shots. Yeah. Oh, okay. So far we've talked about, um, our trip actually has has two sections to it, and you can sign up for for one or both. And the one we're talking about the visit to the clinic in the island of Ometepe and working there and getting specialized classes. Um, for people who want, we have an uh, an extra week at the beginning, and in that one we go to one of the towns in northern uh, uh, Nicaragua and uh, uh, called Esteli, and uh, in uh, that town you can take. Um, uh, there's a, a Spanish language school that's been uh, been uh, uh, training medical delegations. Uh, they can teach any level of Spanish, but they've been training medical delegations, like from Yale Medical School or uh, their nursing schools will send people down there or whatever. And it's a, a Spanish language intensive. It's uh, four hours every morning from Monday through Friday, and um, people and uh, you'll sit. You'll have uh, it's either one or two people per teacher, so. You engage with the teacher. The teacher evaluates, and you you can get trained from where you are in Spanish, either from zero, or up to improving the Spanish you have, or learning the names of the different parts of the body for a medical interview, mm-hmm. or uh, you know things like that. Will um, you uh, cover for folks any classes in like uh, excuse me, that's very close to the microphone. Any classes or things in um, in local plants there? At there, all? Tanya. That, I know Tanya is a you're the bot, you're a botany person at the. At the school, Paul. Yeah, yeah, that part of the trip to Esteli, that's where the two Nicaraguan medicinal plant foundations mm-hmm. are. And mm-hmm. so part of that, you know, in the morning is your medical Spanish intensive and then mm-hmm. in the afternoon are field trips. And so we're going to visit both of those foundations mm-hmm. and get to talk to them about the plants they do use and the, the medicines they make, the research that they do, the practice that they do. We're also going to v- visit... A Nicaraguan midwife and herbalist named Mama Licha. Wow. Yeah. So you'll get to really have much more of a cultural experience if you go on that part of it as well. What what website did you set up where folks can visit like right now and go uh, sign up or read more well, about it? Well, you this? can read more about it and uh, the... The site is medherb.com. M-E-D-H-E-R-B.com. And then slash Nicaragua.html. Okay, so medherb.com slash Nicaragua.html. All and lowercase. All lowercase. If you if don't you know how to spell visit, Nicaragua, uh, Google it. <laughs> if, you just, if you just visit the medherb site, you'll see you'll the find link a little there link on there. the front page. Oh, the also. link on the front page, yes. So, it's like, you know, I, I should, you know back up a bit too and just you know uh, in 
I personally, it's like, well, why, 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 why are we talking about all this in this interview? And well, you know, just to recap a few things again, is that hearing Paul's class uh, yesterday on, um, on herbalism and, and how to become the best herbalist in 30 years or more, which will be posted eventually on herbmentor.com. Great class. You'll enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I was just really, um, you know, put back in, in remembering that, that for all of us in learning about nature and our connections to nature and herbs, that it's a very individual thing. And it's also something that's really connected to our gifts and what we want to do in the world. And when I hear Paul talk about that, and I met Tanya telling about her experience in Nicaragua and this trip that they're doing. And also that it's like, Hey, you know, it's tough to get folks to, I mean, gosh, to, to get on a trip like this. Cause there's a lot of questions. I mean, in Spanish, am I going to get hurt or what's this like? And it sounds exciting and there's an edge to it. And, and, um, I was just like thinking about, wow, you know, the more folks who get to go there, the more people get to be helped in Nicaragua and the more folks who go there get to learn cool stuff and bring back here and really make changes in our own communities and countries. And so it's this awesome, you know, thing that wraps all that stuff together. And I was so inspired by all that being in an event like here, like the traditions and Western herbalism conference and the whole vibe here and all the great work that I, I guess I just wanted to share the experience that I'm having here at this conference and the people that I'm meeting and the cool things that are going on with everyone out here listening to Mentor radio. And so that's why we're here and why we're doing this. And, uh, I wanted to share why I was doing that, but also, um, you know, <laughs> what a great story and amazing work that you both are doing. And thank you. It's really true that, that I've participated now in 11 of these delegations to Nicaragua, as well as, you know, living there for a couple of years. And every single one, there's just this process that happens like clockwork and people's lives really get transformed. And it really does light people's fires to do what they love. It, it happens every time. It's, that, it's very inspiring to be part of. And that's a business <laughs> that I'm in and I've been in since I started with Wilderness Awareness School in 1990 is lighting that fire, that spark, those transformations yeah. and making it happen. And uh, Let me talk a little know. bit about Seven Song. You know, our yes, faculty please. member is Seven Song. First of all, uh, Seven Song is a remarkable uh, herbalist, uh, I would say, of the <clears throat> herbal teachers in North America. He probably knows more about acute care, like first aid and acute care, uh, than any other herbalist I know in, in North America. And also, separate from us, not having anything to do with Tanya Ross, but he also found his way down to that clinic. And uh, he worked in that clinic for a month last year. Wow. And made friends with the director there. And uh, so he's, uh, he's, he's been there before. He knows the scene there. He has an idea of, of what's there. And um, he... Uh, he, like I say, gasoline on your calling, he was very much inspired to... Uh, he realizes that it, it's hard to get clinical experience for an herbalist in North America. Right. And, uh, you know, he told me, he says, this is just such an opportunity and that there, there's almost no opportunity in North America to see people who are acutely ill in a primary care uh, a setting uh, for an herbalist, you know, to do that. So um, he's going to be there. Uh, the what a day would look like while you're working in the clinic is yes. you, you get up in the morning and we'll have like a, a half an hour case review and we'll talk about the cases we saw uh, after coffee after coffee <laughs> and after, after a nick of breakfast <laughs> and uh, after your family feeds you yeah yes and uh, but we'll do a case review of the cases we saw the the day before and we'll say okay well you know we we're seeing a endamoeba histolytica infection and this is the way um, this is the way it's treated conventionally and this is the way we can uh, help treat it uh, herbally also with the stuff we have in our pharmacy here right and uh over the week, that changes because, like, maybe you run out of stuff in the pharmacy. So we can discuss substitutions, you know, alternate treatments and things. Okay. And then a person will spend about seven and a half hours uh, with a break for lunch uh, uh, see, see in the collaborative uh, seeing clients. And then in the evenings and in some of the afternoons, uh, you, it's a 10-day trip. You're not the, every day in the clinic every day, but there are classes and uh, uh uh, Tanya and Sevensong and I are going to teach specialized classes for things that are relevant to, to primary care, to the common things seen on the island there, and th and especially things that would have an overlap to things that would be seen back in North America also. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are also, uh, NDI has put together this, they call them cl classes in global health, and um, uh, just remarkable. 
you know, you, you go there and you're, you're in the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere after Haiti, you know, just for reference, right? Right. And uh, there are a lot of questions like, well, why is Nicaragua the second poorest country after Haiti? You know, you're encountering these human beings on the other side of the net and you're saying, well, why are things here the way they are? You know, uh, what is the global economic thing that, that produces a, a, a depressed economy like this? What, what are the social forces on the planet, you know, that, that cause that? And um, it, it's very important I, for me because you, you encounter, it's kind of strange. You go there, you can be somebody, you, you could be somebody living on the fringes of society barely making a living in the in the United States and go down there and you could hire servants with the disparity in things. So you'll go through, when you go down there and you encounter the society and you start encountering clients, patients intimately and hear their stories and things, things happen inside. You get questions and I took because this big turmoil inside, psychological and spiritual turmoil inside. And they have these these classes that sort of help you process that. Mm. You know, you're encountering poverty like you've never seen in your life or suffering. And you're also encountering brilliant heart-centered people, you know? Right. And, right? And uh, full human beings. Now, I'm not going to romanticize, you know, it isn't like... <laughs> Oh, visit exotic countries and see quaint people. You know that, that's one of the <laughs> right. one of the pitfalls of, of medical tourism. Right? They're not quaint people. They're like us. Right. You know, and uh, so there are classes in classes in helping you process that and understand that, and uh, uh, very transformative. So, so that's the whole track of the ten day part. Is you get the clinical work, the classes in medical herbalism, the classes in global health. And I think I would like to emphasize. Yeah. That uh, the the people you see are people that are you're really going to be struck by you know how much people are the same and how you know a lot of people wonder well okay are the things that I'm going to be seeing here is this really relevant to my clinical practice in North America if I'm not planning to just work in global health and you know that the answer is a definite yes you know people. People get sick in the same ways all around the world, right? Yeah. And so all the sorts of things you're going to be seeing while you're there are the same sorts of concerns that you're going to be seeing here in North America. You're just going to see so many people in such a short time that you're going to see all sorts of things that it might take 20 years to cross your office door here in North America. Wow, a that's real- a good... You get a real I concentrated, yeah. right. you know, and I, you know, the only thing that I would say is really different is, you know, you're going to see tons and tons of people with infectious diarrhea and parasites, right? And so unless you're one of the alternative medicine people who believes that everyone has parasites, you're not going to see that, so many people with that here in this country. But other than that, you know, it's still a useful thing to know how to treat, right? But also everything else is, you know... There, they are health concerns that you're going to see over and over again in North America as well. And we do. I also want to. You, you, you learn to treat a lot of acute conditions, but there are a lot of people with chronic conditions too that are really common in the states or in North America. So, like, there's a lot of people with diabetes, a lot of people with mm, hypertension. Right, right. You know, there's a there's a lot of chronic illness there too. So it's not like we're taking you to go do surgery in a war zone, you know? It's <laughs> yeah, really different. which is an image that may come up and... Right, it's not like that. Wow, that this, you know, I, I read over I read over the website you put together for this before, and uh, I don't think uh, all that you shared with me in the last hour is incredible and gives me, paints a completely different picture for me personally, and I hope it does for everyone else. It's one thing to read, see some things, and you make a lot of your own conclusions when you're just reading something on a page, but to hear your own voices. So um, I do want to thank... Uh, um, the Traditions in Western Herbalism Conference, if you ever want to go there, happens every year down here in New Mexico, traditionsinwesternherbalism.com. And again, to find out about this amazing event to Nicaragua, the Going Down Delegation, the Medical Herbalism and Global Health with Paul Bergner and Dr. Tani Newabauer and Seventh Song and other folks, that's just go to med, M-E-D, medherb.com. Or if you're from Canada or England, that would be medherb.com. <laughs> Um, and uh, but once again thank you very much Paul Bergner and and yes 
Yes, Tanya, you have one more thing you want to add? I would like to say, uh, if you're thinking you might want to do this, we hope to offer this again in the future, but mm-hmm. we're Good you know, point. we're not sure that we're going to be able to do this on a regular basis. This might be your only chance. And, you know, especially the idea of myself and Paul's and Seven Songs schedule all lining up to be able to offer this That is once. rare. I mean, Seven Songs is actually taking off a year from his school and he probably won't do that again so and this is why he's that, able to go it was really hard yeah, to why he's find a time that we could all do this together so this may be your only opportunity and i witnessed seven song in the field <laughs> at the rainbow gathering for a week and he is something else to watch and how he's how professional he is and making it all happen in acute situations so uh a rare invent indeed so so come with us. Please. <laughs> I think also we'll say, we didn't mention the dates. The dates oh, are... <laughs> you know, just those little details. Be, uh, uh, <laughs> um, either the short version is 10 days ending December 13th. The, right. um, a longer version is uh, would be uh, 17 days ending December 17th. That's soon. Mm-hmm. If uh, people hear this and you think you might want to go... Um, you should apply soon. And, and all the details as far as you need to know about applications and all the costs and things are all listed on the site. And that's where you want to go. Exactly. Let's leave that there and then folks can go. And yeah, there's a tremendous more. amount of detail. There are some documents that you yeah. can download there. And there's a tremendous amount of detail there. But there's also information to contact us if you have any further questions. We're really, really happy to talk to you about it. Thank you. Well, Tanya and Paul, thanks so much for spending this hour with me. It's been an honor and it's it's a blast. Thank you. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio, copyright LearningHerbs.com, all rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.